This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. All right, let's go ahead and get started on another episode of Not Another Church Podcast. And after last week's discussion, I wanted us to to kind of take a break from some of the special guests and you and I to talk through a couple of things. And actually, uh, one of the impetuses for this was Anne said to me, uh, we haven't we haven't really gone over what the Bible says that much. In fact, a lot of the advice that we're giving and a lot of things that we're talking about, anybody could say um, it's not particularly Christ-centered. And so I wanted us to kind of pause this week and look at what does the Bible say, um, what is God's role for a husband and wife, and how does that work out? We have said... um, as we've talked about needs, we've said that, and I can say for a guy that this is true, that a man's greatest need is laid out in the book of Genesis. A, grand, uh, a man's greatest need is for respect. Um, I, I can be short of a lot of things, and if I have your respect and I know that you respect and appreciate me for what I'm doing, uh, then I, there's a lot of burdens that I can carry. And so we've said that, that that's a man's greatest need, and we've said that a woman's greatest need is intimacy, and I want you to kind of flesh that out. I can't, I've never been a woman. Yeah, that's good. Um, (laughs) um, Okay, so that doesn't mean necessarily sexual intimacy, but just um, meaning um, connection, like on um, a personal level, in other words, like you know, a woman wants a man that she can talk to, that she can be best friends with, that she um, can share her deepest, darkest secrets with, that will be um, a good listener who will um, care about her and what she thinks. And um, and so she wants that, that heart-level connection that, um, and you know, of course, there's other things that are important as well. I mean, you can't, <clears throat> that's not the only thing. But it is very important if a if a woman feels like she can't connect well or she's not being heard or um, her man is not um, spending quality time with her, not just quantity, but qua- quality time. You know, for women, um, they need to connect in here in their in their emotions, in their um, heart and mind, and that. Um, I think men a lot of times don't realize that. Um, no, that we, that's we, so don't, we don't have a clue. Yeah, I would say just in general, we're we are we are walking around not not having a clue. What, yeah, what's like, going on? Yeah, which is why the whole fine kind of yeah. thing is so baffling to us because you think that you obviously should know what's wrong. That's right. why women do the whole, I guess it's just fine. Right. That's an intimacy problem as far as that connection. It's like, we want you to know what we're thinking. We want you to know us so well that before we say something, you know, you, you, you know it. And that's just not realistic. I mean, I think that's one of the hard parts about the first couple of years of marriage is you you marry somebody and you're all in this, you know, Um, Disney, birds are singing, the fireworks are going off kind of way. And then once you really get down to some of the less exciting things in life, 
you know, when somebody's throwing up or the mopping the floor. Yeah, things happen that are difficult. They get on your nerves. Things, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I think that um, that gets hard for a lot of people. Um, and I think women have unrealistic expectations because in that um, intimacy, that means that we want um, you to know us really well. We want you to care. We want you to understand what we're thinking, what we need, anticipate those things, that kind of stuff. And I think that that takes years, years. And even after years, um, sometimes you it's just easier, better, smarter, and causes less conflict if you just ask, like, um, I don't. I don't think that that if a, if a woman can just stop having such a high expectation um, and realize that I got to say I'm getting a little offended here that your your marriage advice is lower your expectations. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying you know we have people come in the office and and talk to us about their marriages and a lot of women are like you know. Well, I, I, you know, my husband's work a 12-hour day, and he's dirty from head to toe, and, and I want him to come in and sweep me off my feet and have a romantic dinner and act like, you know, like every day is um, a romantic comedy, and that's just not realistic. Well, and I, I would say if we're just talking about expectations, men um, a lot of times have really... Uh, it, unrealistic expectations as well because he comes home from that 12-hour shift and expects the house to be spotless, the kids to be tucked in and put in bed, and, you know, Barry White mm-hmm. to be put on the stereo. And in today's society, the woman's coming home from work and is exhausted and, and has done all the same things that he's done. And the kids smeared yogurt in the couch right. and, and yeah. on and on and on. And so I think that it's important for us to pause for a minute and look at what the Bible says uh, husband and wife's roles are because a big, I think a big part of the problem is is that we don't acknowledge and recognize that God's laid out exactly what our roles are supposed to be, and so uh, if I step outside of that, then there's going to be misplaced expectations, there's going to be frustration, all that right. sort of thing, and I, I, it really. This text in Ephesians chapter five has been mistaught so much that. Um, there are people who really don't even feel comfortable talking about it because they uh, of the misteaching, and I, I think that we need to, as a church, as a, a, in America, we need to stop doing that. There, there are some idiots that teach things wrong, and we move on. Um, so let's let me just read each role, and um, we'll we'll comment as we go. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so uh, it's really clear, and I think that, again, this has been mistaught so much that this means, woman, do what I told you to do, or woman, go make me a sandwich, that that we don't even we don't like to read the word submit. Yeah. Well, and it gives this mental image because I think it has been misused in real life. I think that there there's been a time in our history where you know women were supposed to be subservient and men were mean and um that's not how God intended it to be. I mean, that's a sinful misuse of 
you know, God's perfect plan, essentially. And so, so what does it mean? Well, I, I think that if anybody has the idea that this is shut up woman and go get me a sandwich, then they haven't read the next verses, which say, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that means that the husband's job is to lovingly, sacrificially lo- care for his wife. Now, the, the crazy thing about this is, is that this is almost a, a, a self, uh, this just doesn't make a whole lot of sense on paper because what it's suggesting is that both parties are, are denying themselves. The right. wife is submitting to the husband and the husband is not ruling and, and kicking the woman, you know, in the teeth and yelling and screaming. He's subservient to the love that, that he has. And we know that because Paul, if Paul had just said, husbands love your wife, and I've said this from the pulpit, I, I've got that. Um, when he continued the thought and said, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, then that means that's love that I can't humanly do. Right. Because Jesus died for the church. And so I can't sit in the living room watching football yelling, woman, submit, get me a sandwich, because I'm supposed to be sacrificially loving you, which may very well mean that on one some Saturday, it may mean that I'm doing laundry and mopping the floor. On another Saturday, it may, it may mean that I'm uh, replacing the mirror that you broke off in your, in your car. <laughs> so it, it, what it means is, is that both parties are dying to themselves. So really, marriage is almost a a beautiful picture. Well, it is a beautiful picture of exactly what's going on in our Christian walk. We're not fighting for what we want. We are fighting for our own souls and for that other person. Yeah, and I mean, I think that I've seen marriages too where one person is dominant over the other in a negative way. I mean, there's always somebody that is maybe the more stronger personality, and I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that one person kind of rules over. I've seen women do it. I've seen men do it. And I think this is basically saying you're not, no one is doing that because, in other words, if there's things that need to be done, I'm giving up what I want to do to help you out or to serve you or to to um, please you or to love you, and you're do, you're doing the same thing. And so it's on both sides. It's not that one person's doing that and the other person is um, is ruling over them. So it could happen on either side of it. I think I think in our society, it's mostly happened where men have dominated women, and there's been a big pushback with that. But I think that sometimes women do that with men as well. And another point I wanted to make in that scripture was that if you really think about um how it compares Jesus um, to marriage and the church. Um, It's interesting because, you know, Jesus was, um, you know, we know that he's always been, um, even before the foundations of the earth. Um, And so he was in heaven with the Father, and so it was a pretty big deal for him to put on a, a physical human body and come down here and mess around with all of us who were a real pain, you know, and that was a lot of sacrifice for him. I wouldn't have wanted to do it, you know, and so the father asked him to do this, and he 
probably, we know that it was hard because when he was in the garden before the crucifixion, you know, he was praying, he was trying to get the disciples to pray, he was sweating blood, he was very stressed because he knew that this, not only was he going to be beaten up and hung on a cross, but the sins of the world were going to be poured on him. And that's tough, you know, I mean, that's a pretty tough place to be. And so he put his comfort in heaven, his, um, you know, his godly attributes, a lot of them he put aside so that he could come down here and bail us out, essentially. And so um, that's not somebody lording over us. And so that's kind of the picture that marriage is supposed to give, that um, a husband is supposed to sacrifice for his wife and do the thing that is best for her. And when that happens, it makes it easy as a woman to, um, to, love, to love her husband. Um, you know, when you're being nice and doing things and obviously not watching that football game because something or I need your help or whatever, that, that wells up in me affection and love, and I see that, and it makes it um, easy when you need something or it makes me think, well, what can I do for him? That kind of a thing. So I think that's more along the lines of what it's talking about rather than what a sinful world has warped it into. Well, I mean, I think that in general, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast, in general, if I'm fighting for what I want in life, I'm miserable. Yeah, that doesn't make for a happy situation no matter who you're fighting with, whether it's a coworker or a friend or your spouse or anybody. And so I think that the biblical idea of dying to yourself, sacrificing your wants for someone else is, is where you actually find happiness. And I, I think that in marriage counseling, the hardest step is to convince that couple that you guys are the team you're not fighting for what you want, yeah. and she's fighting what for she what she wants. It is that you guys are the team. You're one mm-hmm. flesh now, and so what you're fighting for is you guys, right? Y'all to use the yeah. Southernism. And I mean, you know, if the whole mystery of marriage, where two become one, if you're if you're fighting for your own way, then you're really shooting yourself in the foot because your husband or your wife is, you know, part of you. And so why are you fighting with yourself? You know, and, and, um, but. And I think once people recognize and realize in the, the biblically laid out roles where both parties are supposed to be dying to their wants, needs, and desires, and that you're, you're, you're fighting to make that other person happy and joy filled. When you're both doing that, then the marriage counseling can become, all right, practically, how do we do that? Right. Because a lot, and you mentioned it before, movies have lied to us. Yeah. I mean, you you watch a rom-com, you watch a sitcom, you, 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 you watch TV, you think that it's supposed to, for 40 years, supposed to be um, fireworks and, 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 and bliss and, and no and it, problems. And, and that's not reality. Yeah, life has problems. And so a lot of times when people have affairs, what they're looking for isn't that, that the physical act. What they're looking for is the excitement yeah. that, that they had when they first got married. 
And I've always thought, you know, the reason why this is exciting is because with your husband, you've got to pay the car bill. You've got to get the kids to school. You've got to, <laughs> and with, mm. with this affair, you, it, it's, it's all the fun parts. Yeah. yeah. And it's all make-believe. And if you, if these two people were to get married, they would hate each other. Well, they would have the same problems, uh, you know, because then life would, would take over in, in normal things. So, so the the rest of our time here, I want us to look at some of those practical. Okay, how do you die to yourself? How do you unlearn everything that television has taught you? How do you get to a place where you can do these things? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've got some tools. Danny Aiken, Doctor Aiken, is the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's a mouthful. Um, he uh, has written a couple of books on on marriage, and we're we're stealing some of that information. Well, this from, is actually from a marriage seminar that he does, but he allows people to use it. So um, he warning one that he talks about is uh, making sure that you understand those biblical roles, and so we've kind of kind of covered that. Uh, he warning two is a marriage will get into trouble when when initial sensual love fails to develop into true intimacy and i think what he's talking about here is is exactly what we're saying where in the beginning of a of, of a marriage it's all bells and whistles and excitement and and as that naturally over time fades that has to be replaced with real intimacy yeah a deepening of your connection of your relationship of how well you know each other of um, a deeper love rather than just an infatuation. And, and the only way for that to happen is that as you go through your lives, you communicate that you really are each other's best friends and you live your life for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years together and you're talking to each other and you're participating in 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 your lives together, that you are the team. And so, you know, I, I said before that I, when I stood at the altar and watched you walk down the aisle, I said I loved you, and I'm, I meant it, but I had no idea what love meant. Yeah, you really don't. There's no way to know. It, there's just... There's no way to understand until you go through it, I think. And, and if, I look, if I look back across the, the, the uh, 29 years of our marriage, the rich depth and beautiful stuff, a lot of it's not stuff that at the time felt fun. Yeah. Well, and sometimes during the very difficult times, I mean, there's been phases. Of course, everyone has phases in life. And during some of the more difficult phases, I think when we were in them, it was hard. It was, and you just wanted, you know, you wanted to be in a new phase. But a lot of times, those are the times that really draw you close together, whether you realize it or at the time or not. You can look back and go, you know, we got really close. Or even if you didn't get close, you learn a lot, or it it strengthened your character in ways. Um, or maybe individually, your um, character, your spouse's character was strengthened that led to the next phase that was better, deeper, richer. Or, um, you know, or maybe it made you more like Christ, that difficulty. And then in turn, your relationship was better, your family life was better because um, you've grown closer to Christ and you've grown more in Christ's likeness and characteristics. And I think in, in the hard times, in the times when 
you know, there's financial struggles or there's your, your move. Oh, Lord knows. Moving is like the hardest yeah, thing ever. Um, that's when men especially have to work to communicate. I, there's kind of a natural tendency for when men are tired, they don't want to talk. They just want, they just want to zone. And when women are tired, they, they want that to, to kind of re- recharge their batteries and reconnect. And so men, when we're going through those, those trouble times, You've got to have regular, uh, real communication, and you've got to work at that. That that has to be something that you think about. That maybe you know when you don't feel like talking, you you tell yourself in your heart, "All right, this is going to be. Um, I need to 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 be there for her. I need to love her like Christ loved the church." And then after you start talking for a little bit, then then it will naturally mm-hmm. open up. But men, especially, we have a tendency, especially when, like I said, when things are bad, when things are difficult, when when you're tired, not to want to communicate. In fact, I think most men, if you say, "I need you guys to communicate," or "I need to communicate with you," it's it's not that doesn't that's not doesn't well, give you a but it feel. doesn't. I mean, sometimes the word communication gives you the idea that you have to sit down at the kitchen table with you know, a notebook and a piece of paper and, you know, list out your bullet points. And I don't think that's it at all. Oh, no. I mean, I think, you know, talking as you're falling asleep, you're talking over a meal, that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's times when life is stressful that a woman just needs to get to talk about that and doesn't necessarily need it fixed, but just needs to kind of get that out. And, and also part of that is a reassurance that it's going to be okay. Um, and you know, guys don't always know if everything is going to be okay. Um, but it is ultimately because God has promised to take care of us. And, and, you and know, the, this so, too shall pass. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, a woman's looking, whether she knows it or not, for a sense of security, um, a sense of protection, a sense of, I care about you, I want, you know, just listening is conveying to your wife, I care about you. And that goes a long way, long, long way. And I think, <laughs> I think men too, we need to make sure that we're in a regular habit of having specific time set aside where you're not both watching TV or you're not both sitting in a theater watching a movie, but that you're spending time together. We, we have, for most of our marriage, been pretty good at having a set period of time that we, we date. And I think that, um, and that doesn't even necessarily mean that you need to spend money. We, we always have an exercise with, in marriage uh, enrichment counseling where we get the couple to go on a couple of different dates. And one of those is you can't spend any money. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to put gas in the car, so that doesn't count. But the point is, is that your traditional date of going to dinner and a movie, you know, the point is to spend time together. So maybe you go hiking. So maybe, you know, you borrow a friend's boat or you have a boat and you go skiing or you do something that's more active Ain't and nobody on the boat that, that doesn't cost a lot of money. Well, true. <laughs> but um, but the point is, is that trying to get people to do things that are kind of non-traditional where they're laughing and spending time together, something that's very fun. Um, you know, one uh, um, Dr. Aiken has another list that we can talk about another day, but one of the things that it talks about is how important it is 
to find things you like to do together. You know, I know there's a couple here in the church that golf together. I know people that, um, you know, wives will hunt with their husbands. I know so different hobbies and things that people like to do. Um, you know, you've been trying to get me to run a 5K with you for pretty much most of our marriage, and yes. that will never happen. Um, but <laughs> I've tried. Um, but, um, but you know, just find we things. We got the Rosie run coming up. I know. I know. Everybody run the Rosie run. Um, but that, um, But finding things that you can do together, spending time where maybe you're not even talking about anything important, but, oh, yeah. I mean, some of our funnest dates, we, we on purpose don't talk about anything of depth. It's yeah. just laughing at, mm-hmm. at some old movie or joking around about um, 80s music. And Yeah, and we like to go hiking together, going on walks. We go on walks a lot when the weather's better. Um, so it doesn't always have to be a Friday night at 7 o'clock. You know, it can be... After work, let's go walk around the block a couple times and just chat about our day. And that goes a really long way in just kind of bonding you together, I think. And, and I think that both the man and the woman have emotional needs, physical needs, spiritual needs. And if those aren't getting met in your marriage, they will be getting met somewhere. Um, and I've seen a lot of marriages fall apart and it starts off really innocently. It starts off with texting back and forth. It starts off with uh, somebody at work that you're just, you start to feel like when she giggles at your jokes that she's meeting that emotional need. And so one of the things that you can look for is kind of a warning sign or little bells that are going off to be afraid is when you are getting that emotional need met from someone else. You you don't have to be in a hotel room to be having an affair. And those every affair starts usually with stuff that's really innocent. You can say, I'm just going to work. I'm just going to, the, to out for lunch with this woman, and we got to talk about work-related stuff. And so be very afraid, men and women, of getting your needs met by someone who's not your spouse. And you know what? My experience has been from talking to these guys and talking to these ladies, they know. Yeah. I mean, we we recommend, and we've done this ourselves long, long time ago, but just, you know, talk about that stuff and kind of put some guidelines in place that you kind of agree to. I mean, you know, we don't do any, like, friendship texting kind of stuff. I mean, I, you know, I text work, people at work, you know, for work stuff. And we text people of the opposite sex, but we know that it's, we've talked about, it crosses the line. If you're, if you're constantly, you know, giggly texting somebody all the time, kind of a a relationshipy thing. Um, you know, other guidelines like don't go to lunch or dinner with someone of the opposite sex, just the two of you, you know, that's a no, no, you know, um, you know, if you, you have a work thing going on, you know, bring a colleague, that kind of stuff. Sometimes that's hard to avoid. Um, but, you know, do your best to, to work through those things. Um, what else? I mean, riding in cars together, you know, I don't, I don't go riding places with just a guy. Tom doesn't with a, you know, just another woman. And even though a lot of times that stuff is innocent, um, the idea is, um, if you've talked about that, kind of put those things into place, then you don't you don't have to worry about it. You know that that's not happening. 
and it 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 gives you less opportunity to let that stuff kind of naturally creep in. Sure. I mean, I don't think most people go looking for an affair, um, but I think they happen kind of organically, kind of naturally when um, things maybe aren't going as smoothly at home, and that that's normal. Everybody's marriage is not always fabulous, and there's hard times. And then if you're in a situation where um, you're naturally with somebody that um, it's easy to be with, then one thing can lead to another pretty quickly. And so if you've already got some of those kind of things, you know, those ground rules in place to kind of protect yourself, um, we've also seen people who have been accused of things that they didn't do um, when they've put themselves in those positions. Sure. Um, yeah. So you got to be careful. Got to be careful, and just make sure that those emotional needs are being met by the person that you said your wedding vows to. Um, and again, man, you know when it makes you feel good that someone else is is meeting those needs. And so when you start feeling that, if you can if you can cut it off there, and you can protect yourself at that point, then it doesn't get any further. So what would you just say to somebody who maybe is already in a situation where they're down the road with their, you know, forget somebody else, but just in, in their relationship with their spouse where it, you know, their needs aren't being, nobody's meeting anybody's needs. Everybody's unhappy. It's not a good situation. So how do they get back on track? I mean, well, what, what we usually do is, um, we start out by kind of resetting expectations. Right. And so you can sit down with your, your spouse in, in a safe when you're not in an argument. You're just talking and talk about what you want to see out of the marriage and reset those expectations. And then you start rebuilding um, that marriage by spending time together and by, I mean, if I'm never with somebody and I'm never, I don't know, I'm, we're going to naturally grow apart. And I yeah. think what ends up happening in a marriage, especially when you get kids in the mix, is that, you know, we and we've been in situations where it's like, okay, you take these two and you're going to soccer practice. I'm going to take this one and go to softball practice. We'll meet up at Wendy's, grab mm-hmm. something to eat, or I'm going to stop at Wendy's and you're going to stop at yeah. Hardy's. And so we do that on Monday, and then on Tuesday there's something else, and on Wednesday there's something else. And so, and right, then you collapse in the bed. And, and then you collapse in the and bed. And you're like, you're, what quality time? How's that even possible? Well, and you, yeah. you get to a point where you don't even know. Yeah, but you also need to realize that's a phase of life, and it's going to end. And when it ends, you want to know your spouse. You, you know, your kids are going to grow up, and they're going to leave. And you're going to be left with this person that you don't know if you don't work on it. And so, yeah, hire a babysitter, even if it's once a month. Uh, get grandma, you know, whatever. Take steps to connect, even if it's, you know, you have coffee for 10 minutes before you go to work every morning. And that's some routine that you put into place and you have to get up a little bit earlier be creative. Think of ways. You, you've got to spend time. You've got yeah. and you've got to recognize that your marriage vows it was the vows that you took in the marriage was not those vows were not between you two. The vows were between you two and God. You right. told God that you were going to 
love, honor, cherish this person for the rest of your life till death do you part. And those are non-negotiable. At, 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 once you take those vows, um, you and God have agreed that you're spending the rest of your life with them. And so that by itself should be motivation to say, okay, right now my marriage is, it, I don't know that person that well. I mean, it, shockingly, right now in America, the highest rate for divorce is not among people who've only been married for a few years. They didn't know what they're getting into. The highest divorce rate is among people who've been married for 20 plus years. Yeah. Because what hap- has happened is, is their kids get to high school and they look across the living room at this person and say, I don't know him and I don't like him. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can lot- let a lot of things go one day at a time and it builds up to a, a thousand whole paper lot. cuts. And like this, one of these warnings here is um, talking about how um, basically when you talk about divorce or even you don't talk about it, but some people threaten it. You get in a fight. Oh, we're just going to get divorced or whatever. Once you put that out there, that's not good. And it shouldn't be a threat. It shouldn't be something that you really even consider or talk about. And so if that starts to happen, you need to get some help because, um, because that makes the other person feel insecure. Um, It really puts your, um, your marriage in jeopardy. And you know, I think that I think that a lot of people have re- unrealistic expectations about what divorce is going to look like and what sure. it's going to do. Um, I know that people think, okay, well, things aren't going well between us, and so if we split up, then I can be happy. Then I don't have to put up with this stuff. I can go find someone else, and everything's going to be peachy keen, and I'm going to get those butterflies again with someone else, and I'm going to. They have this. You know, again, this Disney picture in their head of this um, new relationship and how everything's going to be at peace. But inevitably, that's not how it all pans out, you know, because divorce is ugly. It is ugly. And when you marry somebody, you marry their family. Um, There's a whole lot, you know, friends have to choose sides. Family members get involved. Children, um, it damages and hurts and stresses out children you have to sort through that um the finances are all yeah there's a, it's a lot of mess and i don't think people realize how hard that's going to be and also you know the bible talks about two becoming one and the thing about that that people don't count on is that when you rip that apart it's painful it's very painful Um, And so there's um, kind of a mourning process that people go through when they get divorced that's um, in a lot of ways uh, similar to the mourning process of death. Um, And it it can be very catastrophic for people. And I don't think a lot of folks realize how damaging and how long-term it can really be. Um, And so I think that society has kind of made us think that it's going to be so much easier if you can just get rid of this person. And I don't think that's the way that it, it works out. No, not at all. So if you're, you're in a situation where you're both unhappy, um, and my suggestion would be to, to reset your expectations, start from scratch, uh, start dating and start getting to know each other and, 
uh, re rekindle the, what what was once there. All right, so we've gone through this stuff. We I think it's been very helpful. It was exactly what I wanted to do, and so. Um, Do you have anything else you want to add to this? No. All right. Well, then go serve your king. This has been Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening, and go serve your king.